0: It's a fabulous school. And I, you know, if I had to really stick my neck out with the caveat of for the right person. And as parents now, we all have to be looking for the right school for our child. In terms of what's on offer and the facilities and the calibre of teaching staff, I don't think anywhere else can touch it.
1: So we had to secure the building every single day and that meant... At six o'clock every morning, we would send in our explosive dogs. So at any one time when William was there, there would be the protection officer myself and two to three close protection officers throughout his day of education.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of a Right Royal podcast with me, Andrea. And me, Emmy. Well, I know all the parents out there have just gone through the rigmarole of putting their kids back to school. But what is it like for the royal family
3: and how do they navigate this time of year? In this episode, we're chatting about the schools they attended, the security they require and some of the challenges for the royal kids as well as
2: their parents. To fill us in on all things Royal Education, we're talking to Melanie Sanderson, an education consultant at The Good Schools Guide, as well as former Protection Officer to Princess William and Harry and Princess Diana, Ken Wolfe, who accompanied the Royal Brothers
3: during their first academic years. And finally, we're joined by editor Sophie McCoy, a peer of Princess Eugenie's who can tell us all about her university experience. But first, we're joined by the fabulous Emily Nash, Hello's very own Royal Editor, who can tell us all about a royal education. So, Emily, was it Eton, Marlborough, where did you uh, go? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: I went to a state comprehensive in South Wales. Um, which How do you think that compares? I think it was fairly different. <laughs> I think it was fairly different. Um, Listen, you got a top job, so I did. it worked yeah, out. It be better, I've been, yeah, <laughs> work hard kids and you might end up on a podcast like this, yes. God help them. <laughs>
2: Now, royal education has changed a lot over the years. The former queen used to be tutored at home alongside her sister. And I also think Prince Charles, the princes royal, were also educated at home at one
4: point. Well, actually, King Charles, as he is now, is, I believe, he was the first future monarch to go to school. So he did attend Hill House. That was his very early primary schooling. He went to Cheen. And he, of course, went to Gordonstone, where he famously was not very happy. Not happy. So that's this was say, a, a real... It's not
3: just the crown, is it? That's it's not actually. just the
4: crown, although Gordonstone <laughs> had been very clear that it's not quite as depicted. <laughs> Certainly not these days. But it perhaps wasn't quite right for his sensitive nature. It was very outdoorsy, and it was where the late Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, had gone to school himself. And he wanted the same education for his own children and they did all go there. And I think the others probably enjoyed it a bit more than Charles did. But he nevertheless came out of there. He went to Trinity College in Cambridge, and he's obviously had a fantastic education. It's interesting to see with this generation now, though. William and Harry had a different experience. They went to prep school at Ludgrove. They started out at a nursery school in London. And Diana was very keen that they weren't, from home. There was no question, I think, in Charles's mind that they'd be sent to Gordonston. And so they both went to Eton, which, of course, has a fantastic reputation and has produced some of the leaders of our country over many decades and centuries. But William and Kate have taken a slightly different approach for their children. They put them in Thomas's in Battersea, which again is a fee-paying school, a fantastic school, but in South London. Now William and Kate have moved the family to Windsor. They clearly want to keep the children close to home. They're all at Lambrook, which is just a stone's throw away and looks like a fantastic place. I certainly wish I'd gone to that school.
2: (laughs) They're very clever because they've got the three of them in the same school. So pick up, drop off, it's just a
4: breeze. And it's a very short distance from Windsor where they're now based. So it works for them. Obviously, the huge factor for all the royals is security and privacy. And these will be paramount when the royals come to choose their education for their children but I think what's interesting about Thomas's as well and something that Kate is obviously very passionate about is their focus on pastoral care of the children so there's a real emphasis on making them resilient making them confident and having great mental health and I think that's a focus that wasn't there probably when older generations of the royal family were growing up.
2: I mean the Queen changed the way her kids went to school Charles obviously changed the way his kids went to school, but clearly Prince Charles and Princess Diana got something right there because I feel that William is following on what he had because we have seen that George has visited Eton and he has to make a big decision at this coming year as to what school he goes to. So I feel like the then Prince Charles and Princess Diana did do it right.
4: It's always going to be a very individual decision based on the child, based on the the parents. But I'm sure William had a fantastic experience there. He probably wants the same for George. We'll have to wait and see. Of course, there's also Marlborough, which Kate attended, and she had a fantastic time there. So they're both bringing their own slightly different experiences to the table here. And a lot will depend on, on the temperament of each of their children. Did Kate and William both board? Yes, I think they both boarded at various points. Of course, William was just a short walk over the bridge to go and see his granny at Windsor Castle. Um, He would go and meet her for tea. But I think that was something that they were used to in the royal family. The boys would be away at school. Their parents were either back in London or at different residences. And that would not have been too much of a change for them. Kate, however, comes from, as we know, a very close-knit family. She wouldn't have boarded at a younger age. And I think it's interesting that they didn't choose to send George away at age eight, as so many children before have been. And they're taking a slightly different approach. And it may be that if he does go to a school close to winter, he could just be a day pupil.
2: They will eventually be separated, though, the three siblings, because Princess Charlotte can't go to Eton.
4: Not as things stand. I mean, they
2: they could change.
4: (laughs) There would have to be quite a seismic change in the history of Eton for Princess Charlotte to attend along with her brothers, but uh, never say never.
3: I'm not sure about the idea of sending some of the royal kids to school. Uh, Charlotte also, well, no, no, to Eton in general without Charlotte being able to go there as well, because they've been very equal with the three children. The fact that Charlotte is a Girl hasn't changed anything about their upbringing so far. Do you think that is an element of why maybe George wouldn't go to Eton or
4: that's just not going to be an issue? That's a really good question. I think we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, you know, there are obviously some fantastic all-girl schools out there and it will depend on how keen the children are to stay together, how keen their parents are for them to stay together. And there's obviously a fair gap between. George and Louis. So they're not necessarily going to be hanging out together if they both end up at the same school.
3: Well, I suppose when it comes to university, all bets are off for where the royals go. They really
4: have spread out over, the, well, especially the last generation. The family has such close ties in Scotland as well. Yeah. I think that that's going to be a natural attraction for them. William did go to Cambridge for a term to do some agricultural land management Studies. Okay. Uh, well, very important in yes. his new role, actually. So that was a very good grounding for him. And let's not forget that the now king also spent a term at Aberystwyth University in Wales learning Welsh, and that was oh, an incredibly yeah. difficult experience for him. Going back to international royals, there is this very difficult balance to be struck, isn't there? Because the Crown Princess of the Netherlands, Princess Amalia, has had to not leave university, but she's had to move back into the palace. She was in a shared house with friends for the start of her university studies and has had several security threats. And I think that's just such a shame. It's a yeah, time in life I ruined where, it. where you should be free to grow, to explore, to try new things. And that's really sad. And I think that's one thing that William was very lucky, fortunate in at St Andrews. You know, there was this agreement with the press that he should be left alone until the end of his education. And he was able to live a relatively normal life.
2: Now, Prince Harry didn't go to university. He went straight to the army. Can we also expect that from, say, Prince
4: Louis or even Prince George or even Princess Charlotte? Why not? It will absolutely depend on their interests and their career aspirations. I'd be very surprised if there isn't some sort of military experience for George, at least, as a future monarch. But it depends on the temperament. And one thing we do know is that Kate is very interested in mental health, in encouraging children, in giving them all the skills that they need throughout life. And I don't think they would ever push the children down a no, route that they're so. not genuinely interested in.
3: As Emily was saying, Princess Amalia of the Netherlands University experience was really affected by security issues. So who better for us to speak to about the ins and outs of this than Princess William and Harry's former protection officer, Ken Wolf?
2: Welcome to our podcast, Ken. Now, you were Princess Diana's personal protection officer from 1987 to 1993. For our listeners out there who may not be familiar with your history, tell us how you began working for the royal family.
1: I was a mainstream police officer at that time, joined the Met Police in 1967. And I think it's fair to say that I became rather disillusioned with policing as it was then. And through a friend of mine, Jim Beaton, who was at that time my boss at Kensington before I went to North London. And he telephoned me while I was at North London and said, look, do you fancy a change of career? And I said, well, what are you offering me? And he said, we're looking for officers of your rank to assist and set up the school security program for the then young princes, William and Harry, who were aged five and three respectively. And my first appointment was to look after and police the young Prince William, on his school journeys. But before that, what was so interesting, I was invited to Sandringham to meet his mother, Lady Diana. Quite a nervous moment for me. (laughs) It was, uh, I think, you know, I'd never met any member of the royal family face-to-face and knowing Diana's popularity at this time, quite a nerve-wracking experience. But how fortunate I was because she made this meeting so incredibly easy. I think the nervous part was actually meeting the attentive butler at the door, who ushered me into uh, the drawing room, and there was Diana sat on a sofa with William, age five, attempting to play a piano. <laughs> and Harry stood on a small coffee table, de this vase of royal lilies.
0: <laughs> and Diana
1: said to me, she said, looking after my children, they can be a bloody nuisance. At which point William turned round. I likened it to sort of the Just William books and the Racknell Compton reading their books. It reminds me so much of William at that time. And he turned around to me and he said, uh, he says, no, I'm not a writing nuisance. And Harry, who could barely speak, sort of said something similar, at which point falls off this table, followed by this vase of royal lilies. And they run out of the room. And Diana sort of got up and ran off of them. And so there was I, stood there with this meeting with a, <laughs> a member of the British royal family. All three of them had run out the room and I hadn't said anything. <laughs> the great thing was that, that Diana returned. To she was fantastic. She said, I'm so sorry, Ken, but you see what I mean? And it was actually <laughs> like speaking to a friend or, you know, your neighbour. And that really did break the ice. And for, that, for me, was the beginning of quite an extraordinary working environment. As I say, I, my initial job was with William and Harry. But soon after working with them, I moved to work with their mother almost six months later. But... You know, I remember my first ever meeting or work experience was with Diana William on his first day at school at Wetherby, which is a pre-preparatory school in North London. And Diana was most insistent that her children should have as near normal an education as possible. I, yes, I know Wetherby is a public school, and yes, they were privileged, but in a sense, Diana didn't want there to be any sort of teaching by governesses, etc. And I think that Weatherby was a very suitable choice. A, it was very near to... Where he lived, Kensington Palace. The very first day, William got into the back of the car, Diana sat next to him, and we arrived at Weatherby School. And there outside was probably what 80 to 90 of the world's media, you know, wanting to get snapshots of his first school day. And I always remember Diana saying to him in the car, she said, Look, William, when we get to school, there's going to be a lot of photographers, and I don't want you mucking around. And he sort of sort of peered underneath the peak of his cat he said, don't like toographers. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> but the great thing about Weatherby was that Dinah always encouraged, you know, his school friends very soon after he'd been there on his first day to come back after school to have tea with them. And likewise, Dinah would allow him to go and spend afternoon tea parties with his peer group. So I, I think the, the education at this point for him was a very good one. But no, I have very fond memories of that, of those days at Weatherby. When well, I say, unfortunately, I moved on from William... After six months, because Diana's bodyguard at that time, a very good friend of mine, had been diagnosed with a a terminal cancer. And so I was placed on sick leave for obvious reasons. And Diana asked me to work for her. So soon after my short-lived experience with William, I uh, began to work for his mother. But that's not to say that I lost sight of William and Harriet. On the contrary, I probably saw more of them at that time than their father did. But they were great times in the 80s. Um, It was a very happy family. One thing that struck me was that the circumstances of his parents' marriage were fairly well known in the wider community. But credit to both of them, they never allowed this to infiltrate or disturb their education. And I would say that William and Harry were completely oblivious to, uh, you know, the, the the unhappiness that the parents had. From my observations, it was a very, very happy time, both at Kensington for them and at their house in Gloucestershire at Highgrove.
2: Can I ask, Ken, did the decision to go to Weatherby, was that taken before you joined or after? I'm just wondering if it's, you know, sometimes you have a selection of schools, but there's security matters that go into it. Like you have to analyse, you know, how safe it is for the child to go to that school. And then you might have to do reccees every now and again. I mean, how easy was that?
1: Diana had done quite a bit of research before I arrived. And it was an absolute decision that, that he should... I think location... Was part of it. Diana didn't want a sort of a long traveling distance from home to school and was most insistent that she, wherever possible, would take him to school, although the police would always bring him back. There was always a nanny available to bring him back home. But in the short time that I was with with William, I mean, apart from away day engagements or foreign tours, you know, Diana and indeed the prince himself would take him to school alongside, you know, other parents were there. But I think it was a choice made. A, because it had a very good reputation and primarily I think it was because of the location and and obviously we had assessed it beforehand. I think by way of interest, I think certainly to your listeners, I mean, it was quite a a heavily police-involved operation because every day it was in the middle of a long terrace in Pembridge Gardens so we couldn't secure the building permanently. So we had to secure the building every single day and that meant At six o'clock every morning, we would send in our explosive dogs, the dog team, to secure the building. And then I would supply our own backup, which based in Buckingham Palace, to secure the building once they'd left. So at any one time when William was there, there would be the protection officer myself and two to three close protection officers throughout his day of education. But what's interesting is that the prince and the princess were most insistent that we, the protection team, were not involved in any way visually in his classroom. So we were able to make another room using the adjoining building to guarantee the security of him whilst he being educated. Actually, it worked. I don't recall any one single incidents that would have caused a problem. We had day-to-day niggling problems with the press trying to find access to get the picture that nobody else had. But there was one funny, Period once I remember. Whenever we William would take him there, we would always get the go-ahead from the bomb squad to say, "Look, you know the building is secure." But I received a telephone call one morning to say, "Look, could you hang fire and delay your arrival time?" Because one of the sniffer dogs had become very excited in the headmistress's office on the top oh, dear. Floor. Anyway, so the, the area was well, the school was evacuated, and after half of her desk had been removed. What had happened was that uh, in the top desk that had been locked a uh, drawer was a canister or a bottle of the tipex correcting fluid <laughs> that had fallen out on the desk. Again, by way of interest that this liquid I'm sure some of you will know or, or remember it, smells like marzipan, and a certain explosive that is used called semtex actually does smell. Vaguely like marzipan.
3: Right. So actually,
1: the dog was doing his job. Yes, the dog, yes. <laughs> the dog had actually performed full marks on this. I think the the Metropolitan Police had to reimburse the headmistress for At the half table of the desk. <laughs> and t- anyway, <laughs> <found> <laughs> the Tipex.
3: Was Tipex subsequently banned from the school <laughs> then? <laughs>
1: Well, no, I didn't think it became a banned substance, but um, <laughs> interesting that that should be the case.
3: It's so extensive. I mean, this might be just me being naive, but I didn't realise no, how didn't you'd, that. you'd have to do sweeps every single morning as well. That's, yeah, that hadn't
4: occurred to me, no. I guess, because you've got cleaners coming in and
1: all sorts of other
4: people as well.
2: What does a protection officer do whilst you wait for school to finish?
1: We had our own room. There were both front and back entrances. There was a small playground at the rear, which, of course, behind that, was a, a street. And again, neither the prince or the princess wanted this school to be completely swamped by uniformed officers. That was the right thing to say, and I think it would have drawn the attention to passers-by. It was, I wouldn't say it was low-key. I, I, for my part, I thought it was very effective that all front doors were, were answered by the team of protection officers present. As I said, normally between three and four. So we'd work on a sort of rotational basis, And it worked. You know, the back entrance was covered by our team and the front entrance. But I think people generally got used to the fact that here was a a member, a junior member of the British Royal Family being educated. And there's always that threat from, you know, the unknown, the what became known as fixated individuals that will always try things. I mean, there was always the knock on the door with people inquiring and pretending to be this and pretending to be that. But. Once they realised that once that door had been answered, that you were dealing with the police and you know a team of handpicked people, they were dissuaded to sort of move away. But I don't recall any serious incident at Weatherby.
3: That was my next question: whether there were any significant threats during your time there. But it's still fascinating to think that people are just knocking on the door trying to yeah. pretend to be delivery men or whatever.
1: No, no, we we didn't um, for playtime they used to cross the road and go into Pembridge Square but actually it's when you get that sort of 50 children of that age in school uniform it's actually quite difficult to pick out any one individual obviously parents and mothers fathers would know who their son was but to the unknown unless you had a real intent on doing something criminal it would be very difficult to pick him out of course I'm not playing this down you know William was very vulnerable because of who he was, there was always a risk of kidnap. That was our biggest threat, was the risk of a kidnap of him as a young child. And so, you know, we were very mindful of that. And I just explained to you once in the school that there were between three and four of us at any one time with a clear view with cameras on his classroom. And equally, when we went outside, that detail would always be with him in some shape or form. So he was never left entirely on his own. And so after the first few weeks, we got into a routine that I would say became fairly slick. The risk from a protection point of view is not actually become complacent. So from managing that team, it it was quite interesting. But I must say from my years of working within water Protection, 13, 14 years in all, what, what impressed me more than anything else was this dedication and devotion by all members of that department who often would serve and do very long hours. But the professionalism and the commitment never waned. It was uh, a very interesting time for me. As I say, I I did it for about six months before leaving and then working for Diana herself. So
2: once you started working for Diana, were you not involved in any school runs? Because I have seen pictures of you either dropping off or picking up Prince William at school. Were you not involved in that at all?
1: Oh, yes, I was with him at Weatherby School for six months. You know, I was with him for that time and would spend, well, most of my days, you know, with him at Weatherby. So you're quite right to say, I mean, there must be quite a few pictures of me, you know, <laughs> with, with, with the young prince. He was a very interesting boy. I mean, they both were. They both had their own characters. Harry, as we know, I mean, as a three-year-old, four-year-old, he was very much the, the popular boy in the shop. I mean, he was a character. He was a jester. He was a joker. And people like jokers, and I think William, who wasn't that, he was a little more reserved as a child. Although he had his parts, William was probably slightly jealous of Harry at that point because of his popularity. But William was fun. I always remember the first time I went down to Highgrove, their house in Gloucestershire. William was there, and uh, he came, and I was sat in the kitchen having breakfast. And again, I think I'd like to point out that the generosity of both the prince and the princess that. Enabled us to savor all the food of their chefs and sit and dine in, in relative comfort was fantastic. And I remember sat there one morning and William came in, just in the just William way. He said, um, Ken, mummy um, wants to go out. And we've got to go out, the Siren says, in about 20 minutes. And we've got to leave the house in 20 minutes. I said, OK. But I said, why are you saying out? And why are you saying house? <laughs> And he said, because that's what it is, Ken. I said, Well, no, it isn't. It's we're going out and we're coming back and leaving the house. He said, No, no. He said, Papa says Iight, and he says ice. So I could see myself getting into difficult waters here. <laughs> so anyway, we did go out of the house and we came back in. And then I always remember this about a two week later. The prince came in to me in the in the kitchen. He walked in. We all went up. He said, Oh. Good morning, sir. He said, oh, he said, good morning. He says, I gather that you've been giving William elocution. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted a hole to appear in, in the floor, um, that was the moment. But he was very good about it. He stretched out and sort of tug on his cuff. And all he had to say was one word, which was basically saying, well, stop it and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he had this one way of just expressing himself like, oh, really? <laughs> and I love that phrase, and I heard that so many times from him said in so many different ways, but uh, great fun.
3: I love that. That's
2: brilliant.
4: Yeah, it's so funny.
2: I also wanted to ask you how possible or how difficult would it have been at that time for Prince William or Prince Harry to go on school trips, to go with friends after school play dates. Was that just a headache for security?
1: No, I mean, sort of, they did a lot of play dates and afternoon trips to their friend's house. I mean, this was encouraged by Diana and, you know, I think to a lesser extent by his father. But, I mean, the prince always understood and acknowledged that Diana was better placed uh, at arranging entertainment and things for William and Harry, which she was. And um, would encourage William to go and stay with his friends and have tea. And likewise, they'd come back to parties. They'd go out to burger bars at weekends when they were off. I, I remember him going to a party once at Bill Wyman's Sticky Fingers in, in Kensington High Street. And that became quite a, a, a regular dining feature for William. He loved it. Again, I remember coming back to Kensington Palace with him, Diana, and his brother and friends. And, and the prince was at the door. And uh, the prince said, oh, he said, have you had a nice time? He said, yeah, Papa, we've been to the burger bar in Ken High Street. Well, there's completely Fox, the prince who couldn't work out why, you know, he'd go to a burger bar in Ken High Street. <laughs> he turning to Diana and say, why not they go to this burger bar? Well, we've got some perfectly good chef. I have know, to say, you do a really good impression.
3: <laughs> Excellent King Charles impression.
1: <laughs> point was, of course, it was the experience of, of, of going out to these places that, was the appeal to William certainly the appeal to Diana. And I think now, you know, I'm sure if the, the king, as we, we must say, I, I'm sure when he reflects back to these moments, we'll say, actually, well, I think Diana was probably right.
3: Absolutely. It definitely sounds like some days were more chaotic than others. Like, I was just thinking about sports day at the school when Diana was there doing the races. I mean, for your team, it must have been like not knowing who to be watching, really. It must have been quite busy times. Stressful.
1: Well, Sports Day was always run out in, when it was at Weatherby. You used to run out to Richmond. I think it was a Richmond rugby club. And that was always a, I say a danger, because it, we, we couldn't police an entire rugby club.
3: Right. All the
1: environs around it. The biggest problem for us was dealing with the paparazzi in the media. Although, you know, I've said this so many times in the past, that the media, they were a nuisance, I think, to be honest. There was never any real danger in the sense of, they were going to sort of do anything to either William, Harry, or Princess Diana. It was the nuisance factor that was the problem. And it was a problem that we had to manage and police. And I think, by and large, I think we policed it remarkably well. I mean, a lot of patience was required. But by and large, if you conducted that that meeting in an orderly way and not treat the press, as some of my colleagues did, as some sort of vermin, then you always sort of, you got an acknowledgement. I personally never had a problem. And I think more than any other member of the Royal Family, I don't think there was a day in my years that I spent working with the Royal Family that I was a day where there, there wasn't a member of the press or the paparazzi. And, you know, that had to be managed. You couldn't ignore it. On sports days, we get additional manpower to deal with it. And as I say, thankfully, nothing untowards happened, except, of course, I got conned into racing in the father's race. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> where did you finish, Ken, if we um, can ask?
1: So I didn't win. No, I've got to be honest, no. I think I came a good second, though.
4: <laughs> That's <was> good. Good <laughs> at Can I ask about Ludgrove? You probably accompanied the princess when she went to see the boys at Ludgrove as well. How did it work once they were away from Kensington Palace? How frequently was she able to see them?
1: I remember going there once when William actually got hit round the head with a, a number seven golf club. There was no sort of deliberate attack by his charmer. Time, but they were swinging a golf club at lunchtime. And one of his friends actually, as I say, hit him around the back of the head with a number seven iron and they effectively knocked him out. So, my colleague, knowing that anyone that gets a head injury will go to hospital immediately. Well, the, the school at that time intervened and said, Oh, well, you know, we, we can't allow everyone to go to hospital simply because they get hit around the head. If we'd had this, we wouldn't have any pupils. <laughs> oh, so um, my colleague said, You educate him, I'll look after him, and he's going, I don't care what you say. But it of course was the right option
4: mm-hmm.
1: because William had a fracture of the skull. Oh my god. Now, had that gone unnoticed, untreated, who knows what might have happened. Yeah. So scary. you know, I think there's an example of the role of a protection officer, particularly where children are concerned. Mm. You know, it's quite an important role because you have to make decisions that some others might find difficult. Similarly, I remember Harry falling over at, at Weatherby and had a large gash in his knee. Well, you take him to A&E and you find a junior doctor there and suddenly <laughs> nobody wants to know about stitching up this royal knee with a fear of actually doing it badly. <laughs> you have to say in a nice way, just get on with it, stitch him up. You know, kids are kids and they have accidents and they do things like anybody
4: else. We're focusing on education, but it's not just in school. And really, royal life requires that kind of social learning as well, doesn't it? Especially in in the modern age. Yes,
1: Diana had her critics about her involvement with charities. I think that's slightly unfair because, you know, what are the royal family, what are they good at? Well, apart from their own individual interests, which I'm sure they have many of, all of them have, But, you know, the public expects something back in return. Diana, I I think, not unlike other members of the royal family, had a real sense of duty at her time to the Queen. And, you know, a lot of her charities were involved, the homeless, the elderly, the dispossessed, or the seriously sick. And it's easy, yes, I know people say go along, shake a few hands, but what they forget is that her presence, her fundraising activities at galas raised millions for these charities, and these charities rely upon money to fund their activities, particularly the homeless. Food doesn't come in for nothing. Clothing, I mean, without this cash, it doesn't work. And I think all of this, I think, rubbed off with William. He knew about it, and he knew that this was, was his role. I mean, yes, he's involved with it now. He looks now he's a bigger role with his father's, Prince's Trust, etc. But all of these are involving people that need help, and this is where royalty can give them a big push
3: absolutely I mean Ken I think we could talk to you all day but we have to wrap things up but thank you so so much for your time it's been absolutely really fascinating. fascinating yeah thank you Ken thank you so much Wow, I still can't believe that the security protocols were so extensive for those schools. That blows my mind. I genuinely would have never imagined that. And
2: I actually thought that they sat with them at school, so I was very surprised to hear that they were always on a side. You thought they were
3: there learning long division? I'm
2: I'm not kidding. I've got a visual image of that. I've seen it somewhere. Maybe it's a Netflix movie, but I really thought it did happen. Right, on to our next guest, Melanie Sanderson, education consultant at The Good Schools Guide. Welcome to our podcast, Melanie. We're so excited to have you with us today. Now, we're talking all things education with you today. And as an education consultant at The Good Schools Guide, for our listeners, especially the ones abroad, can you tell us what that involves?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, The Good Schools Guide was founded in 1986, and it was started by four female journalists who were all mothers. And they were looking at public schools for their children and found that there was nothing, no information out there, that really gave the inside um, facts on what it was really like to attend some of these top schools. So they went about lifting the lid on the reality of what it was like to go to the likes of Eton, and Harrow, Stowe, Charterhouse, all of those names that are very well known now. And they found along the way the good, the bad, and quite frankly, often the very hideous. Um, (laughs) And they wrote about it in very candid style, very, very frank, um, highly enthusiastic entertaining and back then our guide was more of a a pamphlet really it was a very small book but over the last almost 40 years we have grown to uh, cover almost 1300 schools we now cover state schools as well so out of that 1300 we've got 300 state schools in the good schools guide and we cover the whole range from preps and primary schools all the way through to the secondary schools and not just the big names now. So schools that might suit a child that wants a a much smaller, friendlier environment, but also, you know, the big top names as well. So we cover absolutely everything now. I can't imagine that would have been easy at the beginning, like, for Eton to let you in. Well, there are lots of stories in our folklore of our founders actually going in incognito. Oh. Yeah. and uh, As, like, a parent wanting... Exactly, yeah. As a parent wanting a tour, standing outside school gates, talking to parents in coffee shops, and really, you know, doing some quite... Serious undercover detective work. So, yeah, I think over the years we have probably drifted in and out of popularity with school. But our main objective is to give the parents the inside track. So with all respect to our schools, of course, we are not writing marketing information to big them up. Our job is to really give parents the inside track. And that's what we, we still try to be true to our heritage today of really lifting the lid on on what it's really like to be in these schools.
3: I was going to say, did these schools go from you having to be incognito to them sending you, you know, muffin baskets?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, you know, we do get, we get courted quite a lot. I think a lot of schools seem to mount campaigns to get parents to write in because a lot of what we try to do is keep our eye to the ground. And it's when parents start to tell us. That a school should be in the good school's guide, that we'll start to look, you know, very closely at it if it's not already in the guide. And we do find sometimes that suddenly all the parents are writing to us telling us how marvellous a school is. So oh, yeah, and you definitely, smell her. <laughs> definitely smell a rat We do look at them. So yeah.
2: Now our royals have attended lots of different schools over the mm. years. Am I right to think that those have always been rated outstanding in your
0: guide? Well, we don't rate schools as such. We're not like Ofsted. We don't sort of rank them or put them into league tables. But I think it would be fair to say that certain schools have certainly improved over the years. I would expect in the 80s that a lot of our public schools were not anything like what we see today. You know, the food would have been terrible. The accommodation would have been drafty and horrible and damp. Pastoral care would not have been, well, it. I, mean, I don't think it was even a word yeah was that the
4: stiff upper lip culture
0: really yeah the time? I think so and l- let's not forget as well things like corporal punishment was still allowed in those days and it was you know very much Gordonstone where a lot of the more senior older royal males attended you know that's known for its cold showers and 4am yeah. runs out, you know outside so it's I like think more like a military
4: camp <laughs> isn't it, in many I, think ways. it yeah. I don't think it is now it was no, It, isn't <laughs> it now. was.
0: I but hate, but, yeah. but back in those days I think it certainly was so I think I think for us, it's not a case of saying whether they're outstanding or not. It's more a case of letting parents know: look, you know, if your child goes here, it's going to be cold showers in a military regime. Or if they go here, it's much more fluffy duvets and hot chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Really. So there's a full range of, of the schools where the rules have been. But things have definitely improved in terms of creature comforts in recent years. So going back to Gordonston.
2: Now it was portrayed like a really cruel school in the Crown, but they spoke out about how frustrated they were with that portrayal. What kind of school is it currently and do we really think it was like that back then?
0: I think it certainly was like that yeah. Back then. I mean if you just think of the geography of Gordonston and where it is, you know, it's cold. Up there, also remember that, you know, the children that were going there from the southeast, from Windsor, essentially, you know, the the Prince Charles, etc. Yeah. He was a long way from home. And despite being a royal, he was yeah. he's a little he was a little boy, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. and um, and you know, we know him, don't we, to be a sensitive chap. And it, it possibly wasn't necessarily his the, the right yeah. place for him to be it almost certainly wasn't his cup of tea in our guide we say that quoting it's the original holistic education using outdoor challenges and service to others to build confidence and improve academic performance and that I think has always been yeah. the case so yeah I think it definitely was pretty brutal back in the day but that's
4: not what we're hearing now no, no. thankfully that's a oh. that's a relief but actually some members of the Royal family really enjoyed their time there I think Princess Prince Anne. Andrew as well. Oh, Prince Andrew, Princess Andrew, and she sent her own children there. Yes, so, she did, yeah. So, you know, it, yeah. it wasn't all that bad. I yeah. think William and Harry would have gotten a kick from going there. I think it's their kind of thing. <laughs>
3: the, yeah, but the sport and, the, yeah. you know, all the activities, I think it's much more up their street than Charles's, perhaps. Well, Charles yeah.
2: didn't agree because he did not
3: go there. <laughs> no. no school for them. Um, why do you think the Walesers picked Thomas Battersea as their school for their children? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think that was quite a surprising school
0: for the Royals to pick, because actually essentially it's although it's um a very high caliber school, it's a very local school. So typically the kind of people that would send their children to Thomas's Battersea would be able to walk to school. It's Nappy Valley, right? So there's lots of, you know, investment bankers, lawyers, it's it's professional families. But it is essentially a brilliant local school, which does, however, send its pupils on to some of the best public schools in the country and also places like St Paul's, Westminster, so the really high octane London day schools as well. So I think that was quite a surprising choice for them. I suspect it was probably because they didn't want to put them in a, a sort of a boarding environment mm. too soon. They wanted a co-ed environment for the three of them or it was it was two at the time yeah. and um, I guess in a way, it was reasonably local to where they were, sort of just across the river. So, yeah, I guess that's probably part of the the reason. But also they have very strong academics there and they may have already acknowledged the fact that, you know, if... George, for example, Prince George, is going to move on to Eton, as has been mooted in the press recently. He will need to be able to hit the academic high notes. And Thomas's would definitely have laid the foundations for that, as would Lambrook, which is obviously where they are now.
2: I do have a question because you say you speak to parents, you are Mm. at the school gates. I'm assuming you still do that sort of job. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How different or how annoying is it to have a royal enrolled in your school?
0: I think there's probably two kinds of parents. There will certainly be the parents that are desperate to shoehorn their daughters in with George, (laughs) especially given the history of Prince William and Princess Catherine and how they first encountered each other. So I think there's undoubtedly those kinds of parents that will certainly want to... See it as an opportunity. See it as an opportunity, (laughs) have their kids rubbing shoulders with with royal children. But it was reported, wasn't it, when they went to Lambrook that some of the existing parents were a bit miffed. That they had royalty in the school because they felt that, you know, Lambrook's a really quite low key, in a way, school. It's a very much a country school. Um, it's very cosy. It's very sweet. And I know that parents that already had children there were concerned that things like their carol service, for example, which yeah. is, you know, a very low key sort of family affair or has been, would suddenly need to become very elite and very exclusive and much more stuffy and formal so I think it cuts both ways and very much depending on what kind of family you're talking about but also you know Lambrook initially was very much open gates parents could come and go you know if your child forgets their trainers you can drop them in I don't know whether that's still the case now because with with three you know the heir to the throne and two in close succession behind those gates I don't think they'll be open all day anymore. Yeah, um, it's a bit yeah. irritating.
2: <laughs> I, I totally see both sides. Getting into any of these great schools mm. is already difficult. Mm. How much more difficult is it once there's a royal enrolled?
0: Yeah, I think undoubtedly, once you've got a royal family in the school, undoubtedly waiting lists and registrations, for lists will be much, much longer, which of course makes it more competitive right from the get go. But they are fairly competitive schools anyway. You know, children will have to pass assessments and sit exams even at seven plus to get into those schools. So I think, yes, it it probably is harder because the field that they're selecting from will be bigger, more children to choose from. So it's probably going to be a little bit harder. And as we've already said, perhaps the school now is looking a little bit more closely at family backgrounds, family finances, you know. Oh, God. You uh, wow. know, if you suddenly Fail. try and enroll your kids, that, Andrea. No, thing. Kind of i will never thing. make it into
2: the waiting list. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They'll never admit that, by the way. No, they no. will never, ever admit it. But I, I can't imagine that they, they, they
3: don't have a choice, yeah, really, absolutely, um, yeah. when they've got the heir to the throne as part of their cohort. I can't believe how naive I was about selecting a school. I just thought you went to the nearest one. <laughs> Now,
2: when royals are at the school, there is privacy, they don't reveal anything. But when they leave that school, so say Mm -hmm. Thomas's Battersea, Mm -hmm. do they use that as an opportunity to rise their fees, do that sort of thing? Have you seen that?
0: No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the royals select their schools because they hold the same values that they do. And, you know, yes, of course, they have the name, they have the brand, and that's enough. I mean, school fees, let's face it, school fees are not going down yeah, yeah. anytime soon. You know, they keep on going up and up and up, but I don't think that a royal connection is a reason yeah. for schools to put fees up.
2: Now, they're currently a Lamborghini. What do you think made this a good choice? For them, the three of them. And were you surprised when they announced it?
0: No, we'd been running a little book in the office (laughs) uh, to see where they were going to choose. So no, it wasn't a great surprise because we knew that they it had been reported, hadn't it? They wanted to be fairly close to home. We knew they wanted a co-educational school. And Lambrook is a really super school. It's got tons and tons of space. It's got amazing facilities. So whatever they want to do, they can do it. It's got a golf course. It's got a fabulous swimming pool. It's got um, an amazing sports hall. It's got a theatre. The music provision is amazing. The drama provision is amazing. They've got fabulous art studios. So whatever those children grow up enjoying... They will be able to do at Lambrook and the clubs and extracurricular opportunities there are just off the charts. Wow. And it's a real, you you know, we know the royals love being outdoors. They love the countryside and it's a real muddy knees type of school. It's not overly buttoned up. It's not overly formal. So the children, I mean, I think when we last reviewed it, one of the parent comments was, you know, it's a wonder they make it back in for lessons because they run out the door and they've got acres and acres and acres of pitches and fields to go and explore in woodland. And they're just allowed free reign in there at break times. It's amazing. It is amazing. And the other thing that I think the royals will have really liked about it is that they're very hot on service. Mm -hmm. So they do lots and lots of fundraising for the community. They are very focused on making sure that their pupils understand how privileged they are. And everything that we hear about Prince William and Princess Catherine indicates that that's really important to them as well. So I think you know as with all parents and we know don't we that william and catherine are modern parents you know they're not like the royals of old who sort of you know just yeah. shushed their children off somewhere you can see how hands on they are yeah. just from seeing them on the tv and they will have been very keen to choose a school for the three youngsters that was very a very close fit with their own family values and i think lambrook really fits the bill there
4: yeah, I remember looking at the prospectus when they announced it and wishing I could go there. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel eight. like I that. Saying, I was just thinking yeah. the same thing. Like, I wish I could run free. Yeah, in the, in yeah. The Are we holding yeah. you back, Emmy? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do
2: have a question about Saturday going yeah. to school on a Saturday. Mm. How common is that, and why
0: do they do that at Lambrook? It's very common in their world. So the schools that they're going to move on to. So you know, if Prince George goes on to Eton, or if they go to Marlborough, or any of the other. Uh, big boarding schools, Saturday school is very much a part of the normal school week. And I think the reason for that, I mean, it's essentially historical. But my feeling is that the reason for that has always been because there's so much sport and activity during the week. So at Lambrook, they'll be doing sport maybe four afternoons a week. Wow. wow. Which in a normal school, you know, you're lucky to get a couple of hours. And of course, you know, part of that is jumping on the school mini bus and going off to play fixtures at other schools, which takes up a whole afternoon. And they'll be doing that, you know, as they move up the school, up to twice a week. So they've got to get those academic lessons in somewhere. And I think Saturday mornings is very much when they catch up. But then they've also got the Saturday afternoon fixture so you're in school on a Saturday morning for your lessons and then in the afternoon, hey presto, you're off on another little minibus ride down the road for another rugby match or cricket match. So a six day week is very much a part of the
4: overall boarding school experience. That's very normal. It's intense. It's I was gonna say
2: it's
4: a Ooh. bit intense. But I guess the flip side is they get very long holidays. They do get very long
0: holidays and it is intense. And I think for younger little ones, you know, for the six and seven year olds, it's a really long week. These public schools are all about building up resilience still. Even these days, it's all about being able to go the distance, be resilient, um, last the course, compete and also, of course, get those great exam
4: results. Wow, I'm I'm exhausted just listening to that. (laughs) Now I'm
2: thinking I didn't do enough when I was uh, young. (laughs) Now, Prince George has a very important decision to make this year. Mm. He has to choose his school. What are you guys talking in the office? What do you think is going to be the one? Because we were discussing, you know, they're together. The three of them are together at Lambrook. Will they be separated and go to a a boys only, girls only? We just had... I wondered
4: if Eton might break centuries of tradition for Princess Charlotte, and... uh, No, (laughs) No, she's shaking her head.
0: I don't think so. Look, it's anyone's guess, isn't it? And it's a really exciting time for those of us in this world, because we're all waiting with bated breath to see what happens next. And um, George has got a few years to go before he moves on to public school, but he will start to sit the entrance exams very, very soon, because these schools particularly... The top ones, like Eton, they select almost three years
3: before the child actually goes there. So, That's insane. Wouldn't they accept him regardless, though, um, of his entrance oh, exams? Yeah. Well, I
0: think, <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. Yes. Silent, <laughs> silent nod over here yeah. in the corner. Yes, I'm sure they will. But I think that he will be asked to go through the protocols mm. for sure with his peers at Lambrook. And that means sitting the uh, what's called the ISEB pretest, which is essentially like an IQ test It's verbal reasoning, nonverbal reasoning, um, maths and English, all online and all adaptive. So it sort of gets harder as you go through. So when you come out of the pretest, if you found it really hard, that's a good thing because it means that you've kind of gone the distance. If it's uh, been a bit easy, not such no. a good sign. So Prince George will be sitting that in the equivalent of year 6, so when he's sort of 10, 11 years old, and then he'll go on to sit the common entrance exam when he's 13 in year 8. So back to your original question, um, what are we thinking? It's anyone's guess. Yeah. Personally, My money is on Eton for him. Mm -hmm. I think that this part of the royal family, I think they're too senior to break with tradition. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that they have to consider. And we've already talked about security. But Eton, it's got a proven track record. They can handle royals, not just British royals. They've got members of royal families from all over the world there and other very high-profile families. So they can handle it. The family understands the school, which is really important for any family to really know what you're getting into. And, you know, really, although Eton is not the right school for every boy by any means, there's no other school like it. Yeah. Um, what's so special about it? What's so special about it? Well, I think at the moment, with its current headmaster, who is um, known to be quite progressive, it's got this brilliant blend of the traditional and the modern it's very very progressive school but I think what's best about it is that really whatever you want to do there you can do it it's not just the normal sports although of course they do literally everything from you know plain old football to polo and they've got a huge golf course they've got you know if you ever drive past Eton College you can see it when you go over the uh, um, overpass they've got more tennis courts than you can imagine I mean it's just the most incredible facility but you can also do silversmithing or I mean it's just incredible you can sing in any number of choirs that wow you may want to you can play any instrument from you know the plain old violin to the bagpipes or the harp there is nothing that you might want to try as a young person that Eton won't be able to deliver so really I think that's a really big part of it but on top of that, I think for the royal family, it's the heritage and the tradition, and that that real melding of traditional values with the progressive education that we know that William and Catherine want for their their children. But also, it's close to home. I mean, you can see Windsor Castle from Eton College, yeah. so they can I think pop it home would, for tea they can <laughs> pop home for tea. But also, I think that you know the the other thing about Eton in recent. Years is that it's become much more relaxed about the boarding side of things. So whereas before boys were you know literally kept within school grounds at all times, now it's very common for mums to pop down and meet them for a coffee or uh, oh, you know lovely. cup of tea on the high street. They're allowed to go home overnight if their housemaster allows it on a Saturday or a Sunday evening. It's a much much more relaxed environment. Now, there's been rumours about where Princess Charlotte could go
2: and she could follow in her mum's footsteps and go to Marlborough.
0: She could. That would be a very interesting move, though, wouldn't it? Because, of course, Marlborough is co-educational all the way through. And to your point, Emmy, if they're going to send Charlotte to Marlborough, why Why would they not send the boys? Yes. The truth is that Marlborough is a great school, but Eton is more Up, than one yeah. head and shoulders the level. above. So uh, George is the future king. As you've just said, Andrea, You know, maybe they want the very, very best for him. But some of the royal girls have gone to Marlborough. Eugenie and Beatrice have been there. And of course, Princess Catherine herself. So yes, they could, if they wanted to, send um, Princess Charlotte there. But also, I still think my instinct is that they will want to keep her a little bit closer to home. Because... You know, Wiltshire is a journey. I mean, I know they've got, they're going to have the fleet of royal cars to take her there, but it's not as though she can pop home for tea. She would be in a much more full boarding environment. And there are some really good girls' schools very nearby Windsor. So, We've got St. George's Ascot is a great school. We've got Heathfield, um, which interestingly does have a royal connection because Tiggy Leg Bork of the Prince's uh, nanny Nanny. fame, she went there. So she could go to either of those schools. And actually, they're both lovely schools. They're quite small, quite nurturing, but they're both focusing much more on um, preparing young girls and young women for a competitive work environment now for good universities. They've both got a really progressive outlook now. They're no longer the sister school, finishing school for Etonians, you know, not very bright younger sisters. They're very, very good schools in their own right. They've got great STEM science facilities. You can do all the sports there. So, and she could board um, whilst being quite close to home. And my instinct is if I was in their shoes, yeah. I might be looking at at those schools and I think they probably will look at them whether they choose them or not is another question altogether because I suppose the upside of Marlborough is the scale of it and the breadth of opportunities which would be sort of closer to an Eton type environment. But I wouldn't be surprised if for Princess Charlotte they looked a little bit closer to home.
3: I was going to say, what are your office sweepstakes saying right now? To be <laughs> like, discussed. I think got yeah. a few years, haven't we? We've <laughs> yeah. <You've> got to <laughs> be well, So
0: it'll be very interesting. We're always ready with our reviews when a, a royal child is off to school. So we we'll have to wait and see.
2: When you talk about Eton, I'm getting that it's a, the most incredible school in the country for boys. Is that true, or are we just talking close to Windsor?
0: It's a fabulous school, and I, you know, if I had to really stick my neck out with the caveat of for the right person. Yeah. And as parents now, we yeah. all have to be looking for the right school for our child. It would yeah. be very, very wrong to shoehorn a shine retiring boy into Eton or a boy who was not very academic. That would not be the right thing to do. Or a boy that just didn't want to throw himself into, you know, 15 different activities every single week. But in terms of what's on offer and the facilities and the calibre of teaching staff there, because, of course, it's a great draw for absolute top-notch teachers as well, I don't think anywhere else can touch it. But it has to be for the right child. And what's the equivalent in
2: girls, like, closest to Eton? Not around the area, like, anywhere in the country.
0: Yeah, well, there's some very good girls' schools around. I think I would say probably Wickham Abbey which actually could be a contender if Charlotte is academically inclined. Wickham Abbey could be a great option for her. That's obviously just in High Wickham. So within a stone's throw of Windsor, lots of Sisters of Etonians go there. It's a brilliant school, great grounds, amazing facilities, fabulous teachers. They deliver amazing academic results every single year. Girls go off to great universities and they're really preparing them for the future. Now, these girls are the movers and shakers, the politicians, the doctors, the top lawyers and barristers of tomorrow. So if Charlotte proves to be a smart cookie then that could be on the cards for her as well
4: absolutely fascinating I think one one question I have for our listeners who may not be familiar with the very um, mysterious education system in the UK <laughs> um, we all went to state school so we're the tradition of leaving school leaving primary school at 11 mm. and then going to secondary but can you just explain to our listeners how that differs in public schools
0: Yes, well, it's an archaic and complicated system, and it's quite hard to explain. But in simple terms, rather than going to secondary school at 11, we hark back to a time when really when girls were not educated. And the public schools, the oldest public schools in the country, existed purely for the boys. So they would go to prep school until they were 13. The clue is in the name. You know, the schools were there to prepare them for entry to public school. And then they would go to public school aged 13 until 18. And then obviously off on that well-trodden path, often to, eat, uh, to Oxford or Cambridge. Nowadays, and thankfully, girls are educated in equal <laughs> measure to their brothers. Prep schools still send boys off at 13, but also some girls will stay to 13 as well. However, just to make things more complicated for our international listeners, often girls will leave at 11. So a school like Wickham Abbey, for example, would take the vast majority of its girls aged 11 and a much smaller intake at 13. So really, in traditional terms, it's 11 for girls and 13 for boys. I'm,
2: I'm confused. I mean, I get it. <laughs> but I, totally I, I went to a Spanish school, so like to me, this is completely alien. But did they think that the girls needed more time?
0: No, I think they think the girls needed less time. Less time.
4: Sorry. Yes. Yes. Okay. the girls needed less time time because they were
2: more more clever. More more mature. Yeah, I
4: completely agree with this, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and just just for another explainer, I think in the US, public school is the equivalent of state school. Yes. But in this country, public school is a very historic name for what is effectively a a fee-paying school.
0: Strictly speaking... The name for a very small number of schools, I think it's about nine schools, which are officially public schools. But now we talk about most fee-paying schools or most boarding schools, private boarding schools here, are generally referred to as public schools. So
4: any that, oh, that always confuses absolutely me. Absolutely baffling. Yeah. Totally confusing, <laughs> baffling, yes. Completely confusing, yeah.
2: If we were live, I think everyone would be just putting their
4: hands up right now to ask more questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was amazing, Melanie. Thank you so thank much. You so much. Was, thank, you. thank you for having me. Fascinating. It's fascinating. We need to have yeah. you back closer to
2: the
3: time. I haven't yeah. have children yet, but I'm putting my name on some wait lists. <laughs>
2: Thanks Maybe so much, Melanie.
4: Me. We
3: had a blast. <laughs> thank, thank you, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you. I honestly can't believe how much goes into trying to find a primary school. Are you panicking
2: about where you bought your house and without looking
3: I honestly just thought it was the <laughs> nearest place for your parents to drop you off in their car. It was uh, for me. Yeah, same. But I mean, the options just seem glorious and endless, especially if you're a, a royal child.
2: It feels like a bit of a competition as well. You, you know, yeah. good school. You're already thinking about what university they're going to end up in. It's just a bit
3: stressful. Fascinating. And it was fabulous talking to Melanie. I thought that was so, so interesting. Well, we need to get
2: her in again soon.
3: Absolutely. Well, we've had primary school, we've had secondary school, so the natural progression has to be a chat about university. So we've been lucky enough to be joined by Liverpool Echo's content editor, Sophie McCoy, who also went to university with Princess Eugenie Ooh. herself. Welcome,
5: Sophie. Hello. <laughs> Hello.
3: Um, so you obviously are now a content editor at the Liverpool Echo, but also had a very exciting here back at university so tell us a little bit <laughs> tell us a little bit about going to uni with Princess Eugenie. So I was at Newcastle University from
5: 2009 to 2012 and I had a fellow coursemate um, I did English literature at uni and my coursemate was Princess Eugenie. Now I'm not saying we were like best friends or anything but she was definitely around sort of circles that I was moving in as well
2: can you tell us about the moment you realized that she was actually at the university doing the same course as you so
5: before I went to uni, my
2: mum my was really
5: excited because um, she'd seen like all the press and she was like, oh my gosh, do you like, I think my mum was envisaging like Christmas at Sandringham. Play and
2: dates.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like really pushing for me to This is it, on. this is how we move up, Sophie. Yeah, this is it, yeah, from Stoke to Sandringham, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I remember my mum telling me about it and I was like, oh yeah, you know, but obviously when you're 18, it doesn't really sort of factor into your consciousness. Um, And then when I got to uni, I remember like there being like a lot of press and stuff around like the first kind of week that we were, you know, Freshers Week sort of thing. I just remember being in like a big lecture theatre. And I think someone said like, oh, there's the princess. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then people were kind of looking. And then she had security definitely for like the first year because these two guys were just like, sit in our lectures <laughs> like these two like middle
3: aged guys I was going to say the production officers deserve degrees um, like so no,
5: surely, middle yeah because right. the they definitely participate. well they didn't participate but you know they were taking it all and I'm sure <laughs> do you think any of them took any notes did they uh... I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah they were definitely trying to be like cool dads that's the vibe I got from oh, them we're <laughs> yeah. like, not here like it's all cool oh like, no well they also at the Yuli. parties poor them they had to like go to
2: university like in the middle
3: age like la oh God, really going back to university thought we were doing, past this yeah, past this. that is a good question actually like did you ever go on a night out with her, sophie i remember
5: once we were like in the toilets together and like obviously we were drunk and i was just like oh my gosh you're the princess <laughs> i think she was just like yeah cool <laughs> like, so I wasn't really in her like sort of social circle she was at Marlborough College I think before she came to uni and like a big group of them all sort of like came to uni together
2: that's actually really good that she managed to go to university with friends because it's difficult to make friends when you go to university well a bit difficult but more obviously for her Everyone knows her. She's got security around her, so it's actually pretty nice that she, you know, it was you an have easy a circle. Yeah, yeah,
4: that's really, really good. How was she, Sophie? Did you just sort of muck in and get on with it and keep her head down, or
5: definitely? You wouldn't have thought she was. Do you know what I mean? I, I thought she'd be a bit set apart kind of thing, but she was just dead chill, like any other person. Really, she was quite normal, really, quite down to earth. Like she'd participate in lectures, and you didn't think of her as being super royal or anything really
3: yeah I mean is is it sort of like after the initial excitement of seeing the middle-aged dads in the lecture halls (laughs) and seeing her there it just it did it become the norm quite quickly yeah I think so especially like after our first year because she lived in halls and stuff as well
5: when she was in in her first year So those those lovely shared
4: kitchens and yeah yeah yeah,
5: so she wasn't in my halls. She was in Castle Luzes and that was like the catered halls. Apparently my friend was in Castle Luzes and she had a room like near to the princess and apparently they all had to be like vetted by like the police and stuff before they were like assigned those rooms to check. They were all kosher, you know.
3: <laughs> that is so weird to think about though, isn't it? Like obviously she, was, she went to halls. She obviously just wanted a normal university experience, you know. But then knowing that when you go there, every single takeaway... You go in to get a kebab or some cheesy chips. More will be reported. <laughs> Chances are, yeah, it's yeah. going to be reported about and then everyone's excited to see you. Like, it's got to be a bit conflicting, hasn't it?
4: Well, that and also I suppose she's grown up with a level of scrutiny, but knowing that anyone could just take a snap of you if you happen to be three sheets to the wind or, or having a kebab or whatever you're doing. Yeah. Do you think that other students, Sophie, were respectful of her privacy? I
5: think so, really. You've got to remember, it was like 2009, so... It wasn't like social media wasn't oh, just just what say. it is uh, now and stuff. I think we had like
3: Facebook
5: and maybe like
3: Snapchat was just My on the and stuff.
5: Everyone yeah. <laughs> know, was out
3: with their digital cameras, yeah. you know, like not not doing it on their phone. Yeah, everyone like took a
5: digital camera out and stuff still. So it wasn't like you could get like an Insta story of her yeah,
4: or like it yeah. on TikTok I'm so or whatever. grateful. Social media wasn't around yeah, was so at yeah. uni.
3: Do you think for that reason it would be harder for a royal to attend sort of a normal university now? You know, I'm not talking Oxbridge, but have a normal uni experience.
5: Yeah, I think so, definitely. No one was, like, taking pictures of her and latches on, like, the digital cameras and stuff because, like... what's the point? Yeah,
2: totally. We say that it could have been different, but actually Lady Louise is at university right now. She's at St Andrews. Yeah, but St Andrews. Yeah, but still there's nothing coming out and they clearly are very respectful of her privacy and I'm sure she's engaging in a lot of activities and... We don't, I wonder, we don't hear about
3: it. I wonder whether there's some rules like you know, if you're a student, you get oh, I'm caught sure. posting a picture, um, you get. Yeah, sure. it's quite I
4: possible. Mean, yeah, yeah. Quite possible. Did, I mean, did
3: you ever get anything like that, Sophie? Like anything official from the university about her? Or I don't remember anyone saying like you mustn't take photos of her. I like
5: work for the university newspaper, the Courier. And when she first came, they approached her to do like a weekly column um, <laughs> called The Princess Diaries. Oh, and, uh, oh yeah. So that was and appara- get approved. Apparently, rumor <laughs> is that she was like well up for it, but the palace were like, no, no. So, oh shame! Wow. That would have been sadly.
2: That would have been. I could totally amazing. see that though because I feel like she's up for anything kind of thing. That she's a
3: fun girl. That would have been so yeah. cool. Oh. I mean, I actually <laughs> wanted to loop back to talking about like the modules because you guys, yeah, like you said, you had some modules together. She did a combined course. But I was thinking, her wedding, she had a great Gatsby excerpt read, didn't she? You're right. I mean, what sort of things did you study, Sophie? Do you remember? Gosh, now you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> we did this like fairy tale
5: module in first year where we learned all about like the history of fairy tales and I remember we got to like watch Shrek and post-modern fairy tale and stuff we did all sorts really yeah like the great we did the great Gatsby and stuff that could have been where it started her love for it (laughs) we had the same tutor so I remember sitting in like a corridor just like on the floor like making notes or whatever. She was like after me for the tutor thing and she like came and sat down after me and we just sat on the floor together and I remember thinking like your Nan's the queen, this is mad. Just like be like Okay,
2: like and just in my head, like oh my gosh, you right. I'd pass her a note. Can you just give this to your grandma, please? No, please? I
3: just be like, yeah. <laughs> be like, So, does your grandma watch? I suppose The Crown wasn't out yet then. No, oh, it was it was right. yeah. yeah, she she says it was a fan of.
4: Was it Coronation? Oh, there've been so many rumours over the years.
3: Yeah, I do have to ask
2: because during that time, it was the royal wedding of William and Kate and Eugenie and Beatrice. You know, they suffered a lot because of their looks in there the was that There was a <gasps> bit of
4: a, a backlash, wasn't it?
2: Both of them actually were quite, you know, criticised. And I wonder if you remember that time, because that must have been awful for her to go back to university thinking that the whole country, you know, were kind of mocking her
0: and her sister. It oh, was
5: horrible. It yeah. was horrible.
2: Do you remember that time? Yeah, I remember all
5: that sort of going off. I think she had like a bit of time because it was April wasn't it so yeah. I think she had like a bit of time off around that time to like do wedding stuff I guess I did feel really bad for her with like all the
2: yeah the criticism did you get to like say can you say thanks to the grandma for giving us that extra day off <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the grandma it's the par- it's parliament isn't it cheers, granny. bank holiday well yeah yeah <laughs> cheers to your granny
4: <laughs> I've met Eugenie a couple of times and she comes across as a really down-to-earth person, actually. And whether that's how nature has formed her or whether that's as a result of hanging out with people at Newcastle University, I don't know. But I think it's actually brilliant that members of the royal family are going and mixing way more than they would have done in centuries past. Mm. And she does come across as a really... A sound girl, if you like.
2: Yeah, she's great. I I think a lot of it is due to her mum, Sarah. She's just so fun and down to earth.
4: Yeah, and I I think having that experience, like you say, she did go to Marlborough College. She did have a circle of friends, but it's a reminder always that these are real people who have real lives and will occasionally sit on the floor to take notes.
5: Talking about Fergie, I worked at BHS during my time at uni. And apparently in Freshers Week, Fergie came in to BHS and just like bought like all the home stuff for like need to have in halls and stuff. And everyone apparently in this, I wasn't working there obviously then because it was just as I started, but it was a thing. Everyone was like, oh, she was so nice. And like, oh, she got all the stuff from here. A normal family.
3: I love Fergie just, as, yeah, as well. I love, um, I love
0: Fergie. We love Fergie. We're yeah, big fans. We were both
3: wearing a green suit at uh, Hello. Star Inspiration Awards a couple of years ago and she literally tapped me from behind and was like, oh, we match? And I was like, ah!
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: You guys know your colour because, you know, um, you're both redheads. Well, indeed, yeah, yeah, You've <laughs> got to go forest green in autumn. It's a, it's a requirement for the gingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask as well, do you reckon Eugenie would recommend Newcastle? Say the, uh, the Wales kids were thinking about uni. Do you reckon she had a good three years there she spoke to the newcastle
5: chronicle on a graduation day um, and said like what a great time she'd had at uni and how much she loved the region and stuff and i think she's been back several times since to do like charity stuff and i think she like holds the region dear in her heart
2: thanks for joining us today Sophie. Thank so thanks be nice. having you
3: so that's everything from us today Thank you so much to all of our guests and to you too for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about Royals on Screen, so don't forget to subscribe now.
2: In the meantime, catch more from Hello with our news and entertainment show, The Daily Lowdown, available on Spotify, Apple and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Au revoir. Bye.